Uh, today, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 4. Today is February 1st, 2015. That's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, the title of today's message is, Do You See What I See? Do you see what I see? I'll let the tune jingle in your head for just a second there before we get going. Um, it's important that we see things the way the Lord does. Um, it is so easy in this world. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this. Uh, there's a lot of TVs that are coming out. And now, you know, back in my day, I still remember having a black and white TV in the house to start with. These young whoopersnappers don't know anything about that. They don't know anything about me being the remote control for my dad. Hey, boy, get up and go change that channel. Yes, sir. Click. There's only four. So <laughs> Got real fancy, got six, and moved the rabbit ears and all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, they're making TVs now. There's actually getting to be a point where in a few generations of TVs, we went from the standard good old black and white, and then you got color TV that was as big as a, you know, bed you know, I mean, those things were huge, hundreds of pounds, this huge piece of furniture that just anchored down your living room, right? And then it, we get more advanced, and they're getting thinner, and now they're curved and all this cool stuff. And we get, you know, before if you had a 720 ratio on your TV, man, that was good. No, that's, wow, that's high def, right? And then we get 1080. <gasps> and now we're at 4K, 4,000. There's actually some science behind it that says at some point we're going to figure out the technology and it will actually be more than your eye can comprehend. At some point they'll just stop making nicer and nicer TVs because your eye is only going to be able to see up to a certain point. Isn't that crazy? They'll just keep compacting things more and more in. Um, But there's a way that the world sees things. There's a a common way that when you're around, it's it's just the ways of the world. I'm not even talking about evilness. I'm just saying there's a way that people around us start to think. And if we're not careful, um, if we don't continue to recalibrate the way that we think. Um, I remember my wife uh, bought her first fancy camera. Those SLRX? SLR, there it is. (laughs) Too many letters. Right? I mean, it was just nice. It was the nicest thing that I could buy my wife. We went out there, and there might have been nicer things, but that's the best we could do. And it was a whole six megapixels. Six. There are telephones that you can get with like 40 megapixel in the phone. It's not even supposed to be a camera. And I'm like, wow, just how things keep advancing. But as, as much technology as the world has, the world can't see anything clearly. They cannot perceive the things of God because these things are not meant for human beings. They're meant for... Uh, human beings empowered by the Spirit of God. You can't get to it on your own. So take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? The chapter before we get the famous verse that says, To obey is better than sacrifice. We get King Saul, who decided to do it his own way, all the while proclaiming that it was exactly what God told him to do. At that point, um, Samuel comes along and says, hey, the kingdom is no longer in your hands. We're gonna, this, 
this causes. It shows your heart. And now there's going to be a transition of leadership. And it says that Samuel, just he was mournful. He was sorrowful about it. Verse 1 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Can I encourage you today? This is not on, this is not on topic, but I just want to encourage you. For some of you, um, how, how long are you going to mourn over the things that you feel like you've lost? How long are you going to mourn over the opportunities that have gone by you? Gone by you that have, have, have been passed up? That you feel like should have happened? Let me encourage you. How long are you going to mourn about it? Fill your horn with oil. Let the presence of God overwhelm you. Let your strength be renewed by the power of God Himself and be on your way. Be on your way. If you stay where the pain is, if you stay where the failure is and you camp out there, you will never make it to the land that God has for you. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm just going to let that sit for a minute. Whatever it is in your life, let me just encourage you. I think that's a word of the Lord for somebody here. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. It says, I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Verse 2, but Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. Aren't you glad that we have a God who shows us what to do? Just walk in obedience and he'll show you what to do. For those of us who are planners, you don't have to have it all planned out. If he told you the first step, just take the first step. He'll show you the rest. He'll show you what to do as you're going along the way. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? (laughs) It's a good thing to figure out first, right? Man of God walks in. I don't know about you guys. I remember... In our circles growing up, we would have sometimes people who flowed in prophecy. That wasn't a normal thing in our church, but we were open to it and we wanted it. But there were special prophets who would come around. And I remember being a kid and I was always afraid. I was like, are you going to tell everybody every bad thing I've done? <laughs> you know, It's like, oh, don't expose me. Like, don't. I'm like, I want a prophecy, but like, I don't want to be embarrassed. You know, I remember I'm. I'm showing my immaturity and telling you what it was as a kid, but I remember thinking those things. And I think that's an actual good thing. I think we should be on our toes about a holy God who's going to come and look at us and evaluate us. If we don't have that still in us, I don't have, an, I don't have fear about it. I'm not petrified to the point where I won't move forward. But there still should be this little check in our spirits before we take communion. We should examine ourselves. Before, when, when people of God are around... I want to do good because I'm here with you. I want to be able to encourage you. I don't want to have things in my life that cause me, that act as a a stumbling block to anyone. There should be some of this like, hey, are you coming in peace? Please? So Samuel says, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. That's a whole sermon you can do right out of that sentence right there. Consecrate yourself and come to sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. 
Verse 7. And this is the introduction uh, scripture for us today. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you see what I see is really trying to get us to figure out how God sees things so that we can align ourselves with the way that God sees? When man looks, the, the word there in the Old Testament for those of you students, the Strong's number is 5027. When man looks, he regards it. He thinks that he can evaluate everything from the external. He takes a picture of it and he says, I have now revered this because of only the appearance. Man looks at the outward, but it said that the Lord looks at the heart. The word there for looks is number 7200. It's an entirely, we translate both words into look. Man looks and God looks, but man perceives things from a limited perspective and it says that God discerns the heart. One of the other words that you can use for that is He discerns. He beholds. He pulls away everything else and reveals the true nature of what's going on. The God that we serve pulls away everything else and sees our true nature. We can try to be what we ever, whatever we think that everybody wants us to be. That's one of the things uh, I enjoyed being a teacher for so long because I got to work with high school kids. That was my primary age group that I worked with. And I had a lot of sympathy for them because I knew that they were trying to figure out who they really were. And there's pressures on them to act a certain way. So I had a heart for them to say, you be who God has called you to be. Don't let the pressures of the outside try to remold you, to form you into something different than what you really are. It compresses it suppresses who you really are and it tries to get you to fit in a mold that, that God never intended you to fit in. But the, uh, the God that we serve, He looks at us differently. <laughs> Maybe it's sometimes we should echo what it said a few verses ago and say, Lord, are you coming in peace? Are, do you like what you see? Do you, li- do you like what you're seeing in me? Do you like that when everything is, t- is torn away and every, all the, everything is put aside, are, are you happy with what you see in me? When man looks, man looks with favoritism. Man sees things through a favoritism eye. Um, there, was a, there were studies done. I used to be a music teacher, as most of you know. And there were studies done that would actually um, cause people... They did a blind studies. So they would have a piece of music, and then they matched it with a very attractive person who was supposed to be playing the music. They synced the video with the audio, and then had these professionals... PhD, college professors, professional level musicians, evaluate the performance. Here it is on tape. And they would give it a certain score. And they would take the exact same soundtrack and match it with someone else who wasn't quite as um, attractive. Visually appealing. The exact same soundtrack. It was the exact same performance. And they matched it with somebody different on the front. And they had these same people score it. And they scored them much lower. It's the exact same music, and these are the, the ultimate of the music realm. And so they were trying to figure these things out, and there's, there's been some pretty famous studies in the music world that show how much um, our, our external um, shaded people's, people's thoughts about us. When we, as people, we look at other people and there's favoritism, we're showing that we don't see things the way God does. Turn to James chapter 2 and verse 1. 
James chapter 2 and verse 1. It says this. You there? My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. (laughs) I like it when God tells me something and I can understand it. I may not always be able to execute it well, but this is like not veiled and hidden, right? It's the most plain understanding of this that will help me. Don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. You, um, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's interesting that favoritism here is actually compared with evil thoughts. In other places it talks about You've perverted justice. You have twisted the very principles that God is trying to show you. Um, Favoritism, as I was studying for the past couple of weeks on this thought, is favoritism is a big deal to God. When you show favoritism, He's completely unhappy with us as we show favoritism because it shows that we're looking at things from a worldly perspective or from a human perspective. Listen, my dear brothers, verse 5. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Um, I had the privilege of teaching in a, in a private school, so some of the families were very affluent. Um, at the same time, my first year of teaching, I was teaching in this private school. I was also doing a... Um, kind of a pro bono work for the Salvation Army, believe it or not. They had a band, you know, the good old traditional band that the Salvation Army wanted to have. So I went from a very affluent school, and every this was even before we got married, so this was, you know, 20 years ago. Um, golly, that's a long time ago. Um, and I'd go in the afternoons to this Salvation Army band. Can I tell you there was a little bit of difference between those two groups? Um, these guys, and I loved it. I loved working with them, but it was such a different feel. These guys, you could almost, I could pray with them. I can do whatever I needed to do. Sometimes easier than I could with those who had more about, they had more of the earthly provision around them. It's harder. Um, when I do things with apartment communities here in our area, the apartment communities who are serving lower income folks, they're actually easier for us to do ministry in. You don't really have to fight people. You, you said you're going to have a church service. Yeah, we did. In our city, in this area, within 10 miles of this very spot, the people who have lower income restrictions or uh, thresholds to get in, those are some of the easiest places to actually go and do open ministry, to lay hands on people and watch them get healed, to actually pray with them as you're going around and meeting people. It's when we start uh, having some prestige that we, we want to be respectable, that we want to start putting limits on our life and therefore on God's life as well. Verse 8, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. (laughs) Well, there you go. And are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are governed, uh, who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Isn't that an interesting thing if you really think about it? Speak and act. Pay attention. Ask the Lord if He's coming in peace into your life about those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Kind of, it feels like it's opposites the way many, many churches have been brought up to think. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen? Take a look at, uh, oh well, uh, let's go back up to, take a look at verse 4. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges without evil thoughts? One of the words there for, in this passage for favoritism at the beginning is, is uh, partiality. It's be a respecter of persons. And another word there when it says, you yourselves have not discriminated amongst yourselves. It actually talks about us being an acceptor of a face. An acceptor of a face. We look at it just as it was in 1 Samuel. Turn to Romans chapter 2. I'm going somewhere, so stay with me here. There is a method to the madness. Romans chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's patience leads you towards repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When His righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what He has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. To those who, what does that word say? To those who by persistence To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject, reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Isn't that an interesting thought? He's not going to look at you and say, hey, I'm going to reward. Um, I, the idea of favoritism from God is really such opposite thing. God doesn't isn't going to reward Matt over me because of any other criteria. But he will show favor upon Matt rather than me if Matt is obedient and I am disobedient. He's not showing favorites. He's not doing it for them. It's much easier as human beings for us to think, oh, there's a... There's got to be some loophole in this. There's got to be some trick. There's got to be some falsehood against me that says, um, well, God must like Baj a lot more than he likes me. And that may be the case. But, I would. But, but God doesn't. He doesn't hold one above another. 
He will honor us. He will reward us. He will favor us as we are obedient completely to Him. So whatever rewards that Baj may get, I should be able to celebrate that. Because I know that if I'm obedient, God will reward me accordingly. Because God rewards Baj doesn't mean that He won't reward me. That's a very worldly way of thinking, like as if there's one pie. And if Baj gets a piece, well then that's that much less that I can't get. Be careful that we're not looking at things from the outside. Be careful that we're not looking at things from the worldly perspective. I rejoice when my brothers do well. I rejoice. I celebrate. I jump up and down. Uh, We had difficulty selling our house when we originally moved to Texas. (laughs) And I would have friends that were like, yeah, we sold our house in like 12 hours. And they didn't want to tell us. (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I am the one who will rejoice the most because I know how difficult it was when mine didn't. Why would I want to cross my arms even if I'm not doing it on the outside but on the inside? Y'all know how that goes, right? You have kids. <laughs> you ever made your kids apologize? I have. Right? You make them apologize because it's good practice and they're standing there <laughs> just bowed up. I remember... This never really happened with Olivia, but I have to admit it happened with Gabe and with Anna. So I don't know what that says about us, but with Gabe and Anna, there would be times we'd be like, don't you do that. Whatever, there's something in front of them they're not supposed to touch, they're not supposed to climb on, whatever it was. (laughs) Gabe is a young man of God, so that's why I, I easily share this. And he would just stand there and be like, I'm like, what are you doing? I want to do it. <laughs> he literally, like, he would clench up and like, ah! And it was the funniest thing, because, you know, try not to laugh as you're disciplining your kid. That's always a good, you know, parents don't laugh, because it just kind of sends mixed messages. But I'm standing there going, oh my gosh, this is the funniest thing in the world. Don't do that. Ah! And, and so what I would do is I would actually just stand back and watch. Which part of him is going to win this battle? We'll see. And I'm standing there, wanting him to do right. But if he does wrong, there will be consequences. And, and it was, it was in those moments and it was the easiest thing. And God was like, that's you. Oh. Cause sometimes he'll tell me not to do something and I'll be like, I really want to do that. Of course, I'm an adult, so it's easier for me to justify and explain away what I want to do. I'm not quite there physically standing there, but my spirit is doing the exact same thing. That battle between being righteous and being less than that. Anything less than that. It was a a perfect example when you see it in your children, but only as much as it reveals what your own heart is. Because God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't show favoritism. Uh, This is what I was trying to get to a minute ago. It's easier for me to think that there's something wrong it lessens my own personal responsibility if I accuse God of playing favorites. It's not my fault. Surely, I mean, God, how could you do that? I start actually impugning the character of God when I see someone blessed. Sometimes there are good, it's a good idea to have some markers in your life. Some things that you go along and say, hey, how am I doing? Well, one is that you should be able to celebrate with other people. I should rejoice when you rejoice. I should mourn when you mourn. 
If I can't rejoice fully when you rejoice, if I look at you and you get a new car and I have a twinge of jealousy, I'm a grown-up. I'll say it right. I'll smile. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Have you seen my car? I call it the Green Hornet for a reason. You know, because it sounds like a hornet. (laughs) You know, like whatever it is, if I can't be completely thrilled for you, it doesn't mean that you're bad. It shows that I'm not as mature as I thought I was. It's a standard that's there that the Scripture clearly gives and I either measure up to it or I don't. I love this church because we're a church that says, here's the standard. We love you too much to let you slide below that and call it okay. Well, you tried. Good job. Well, you may have tried and here's still the standard. You didn't get there. What are you going to do to get to it? Some of our counseling at the church feels kind of harsh sometimes. All we're saying is, here's the Scripture. We didn't put it there and we can't change it. If you're not there at the standard of what the Bible says, then what do we do to get there? That's all. That's all we're trying to do. That's all I'm trying to do. That's all I'm trying to raise my own children to do. The Bible says this. You did this. How are we going to fix that? But you don't understand why. Just you're here. This is the standard. You're here. How are we going to fix it? I'm sorry. You're wonderful. You tried. Yay. Pat on the back. And you still missed the mark. Let's close that gap. Because God will empower us to close that gap if we have these righteous standards. Um, turn to... Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> 2 Peter. I know this is kind of obvious, but... 2 Peter chapter 1. And it says this. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says this. His divine power has given us everything we need. Everybody say everything. And as you study this word out in the Greek, you know what it means? Everything. (laughs) Yay. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. I don't have time. You You can camp out on this one verse for a long time. It is so ripe with meaning. It is so ripe with the very presence of God in it. His divine power has given us, given it to you, everything we need for life and godliness. Well, I just don't have what I need. Well, they have financial resources and I don't have it. Well, they grew up in church. Um, I've been very blessed to be able to go to different uh, conferences and things. And one was a church planners conference. And... And it was great. But if you're not careful, even around church planners, what you get is, let me tell you why my city is the most difficult city in the world to plan in. Let me, let me tell you why it's difficult. Well, now, you guys are in Houston. It's a ginormous city. Our city. Huh. Kind of making excuses like, if this thing doesn't go well, well, we've got a lot, we've got a lot of mitigating circumstances. Hey, man, we're all pushing back darkness here. I'm not the one that's intimidated because you have 50 people in your church. I'm glad. Keep pushing back the darkness. I'm not overly impressed if you have 5,000 people in your church. Are you pushing back darkness? If you are, then push it back. Because His power, 
His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. There's nothing that we lack. There's nothing. We have the source of all power that is supposed to be residing inside of us. That's why this church is so intent on people having the baptism of the Spirit. To be being filled, to constantly be filled with the Spirit. You know why? Because we just think that His divine power has given us everything we need and we think that it comes through that. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. What a beautiful sentence. What a beautiful thought. Verse 4. Through these He has given us very great and precious promises. Everybody say very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So that through them you can start reflecting the glory of God. You can start looking at things exactly the way God does. You can start responding exactly the way that He would respond. You can start thinking and have the mind of Christ because He's given it to you. And escape... uh, Let me go back up to the beginning of that. Verse, sorry. Through these, uh, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Isn't that true? Truth is, is we end up doing what we want to do, right? If you want to be godly, you will allow God's presence to be in you and you will achieve that. If you don't really want to be godly, you'll find every excuse in the world not to. You'll find every headache in the book to not show up on a Sunday. And y'all are here, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to preach to the choir there. You'll find every excuse not to really get involved in the Word as a regular part of your life and dig in. You'll find an excuse. Well, I'm busy. Welcome to the club. Great. Congratulations. Well, I have this, this special circumstance. Okay. And if He's given us these things, I have no excuse. If He's given me everything I need, then I'll quit trying to convince you of my lack. And I'll just say, maybe I should just say, hey, this was the standard and I haven't lived up to it, but by God's grace, I'm going to get better. By God's grace, He will work these things out in me so that the promises that He's given me, you will see soon enough. You're not going to see them all yet, but He's in me. And He's coming out of me. And He's reforming me and He's changing me and He's transforming me. I'll get there. Just hang on. Give me some grace because I'm working there. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Everybody say, add to your faith. I love this passage of Scripture. And you really could, this could be an entire series that we would do. And that's not what we're going to do here today. For this very reason, make every effort, make every effort, strive, yearn, work hard for it. If you're 5, or if you're 50, or if you're 105, make every effort to do this. Add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And this is the part where you really can start digging in here a little bit. God wants us to add to our faith. He wants you to add to the faith. Well, I believe, great, fantastic. And, well, we want to add, we want to add goodness to this. You're going to be doing some things that are good that God has told you to do. Why? Because it's going to show that you have the faith. It's an outward working of the faith. He got it in the right order. Surprise, surprise. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. Because once you have faith and you're starting to do good things and you've got a little knowledge under your belt, better make sure that you're using it correctly. You don't want to get derailed. Now that you're moving, you don't want to start seeing things the way the world does and hop off the tracks. 
So self-control. Let me encourage you. Some of us are, um, are frustrated at where we are in our life. And the truth is, is God's just working some self-control out in you. We're wanting to be at a certain point. He's saying, I just need you to mature. I just need you to grow up in your faith. Wherever you are now, whatever level of maturity you are, He just needs us to grow up in our faith. Let's keep reading. Self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Some of these, I don't, I'm not going to do this right now, but I think it's funny that after godliness, then it's brotherly kindness, and somehow that's different than love. In my mind, those are all kind of always wrapped together, but apparently there's some things that we can grow in in each of these areas that are a little bit different than the one before. Verse 8, I love this passage. This is actually what I was driving to church this morning, and I said this to my wife. I, was, I didn't even, I couldn't quite get it clear in my head. I don't know if you guys are that way. I'll get part of a verse, and I'll have to think about it for a while, and I can get more of the verse, and I can figure out where it is. Right? For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, Everybody say, increasing measure. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, it's not enough to even possess them. The goal here is that you continue to grow in them. It's not a checklist that once you get faith, you go and scratch it off the list. As much as I like the list. It is not a linear progression. It is more of a, you can think about it a lot of different ways. It's a spiral of, we're going to revisit faith and goodness, and knowledge, and self-control, and boom, 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 and then we open up into a new level. And you know what you need to do? You need to work on your faith, and goodness, and knowledge, and so you just, it's going to continue to work. I thought I'd learned that lesson already. If you've been around Christ at all, you know. Sometimes you're going to be working on the same things you did 10 years ago. But hopefully it's not because you just circled around the mountain, and you're at the same level. Hopefully you've gotten a lot deeper in that, in that process. A lot deeper in that understanding. Can I tell you, I had an understanding of grace. And then when I've gone through difficulties and years later, I come back to this idea. and It's like he opens up grace in a whole new way to me. Hopefully it's because of this. There's a different level of knowledge. There's different things that you start working on. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you didn't do it right the first time. <laughs> Have you ever thought that? God, I'm dealing with the same thing again. Like I said, as long as it's not because you didn't, (laughs) we can just circle around the mountain and kind of be back in the same place. And there's another way that we can kind of just continue and got to revisit. Hey, faith, step out in faith. Okay, Lord, I'm stepping out. And I look back and I'm going, oh, that was kind of a small step, wasn't it? That was a tiny little baby step. And I was like, I felt like I was jumping across the Grand Canyon. And now I realize, oh, wow. I don't look back and discount that. I rejoice in the fact that, that these things happen in increasing measure. For if you possess them, these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, there are people who are in the kingdom, and according to this scripture, if we don't keep increasing in these issues, in these topics even listed here in this one passage, apparently we can be ineffective and unproductive. In our knowledge, in, not about, not around, in our knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ, we can actually be ineffective and unproductive. That is the worst thing. That is one of my greatest, if I call it a fear, that's one of my greatest fears. Is that I will end up doing this and somehow have done it and labored in vain. I do not want to get 
anywhere in my walk with the Lord and realized that I was doing it in a way that I thought was right, but I didn't look at it the way he did, and so it made me ineffective, unproductive, and I labored in vain. I work too hard to want to labor in vain. I push the ball too far down the field to have to go back. I don't want to undo that. I want to do it the right way. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. <laughs> I don't. I, I try to slow down in my reading. Right? I've read through the Bible like you guys. I've I've heard these sermons. I've done these things. And you know what struck me the other day was. He is nearsighted and blind. That's, that's pretty bad. I would think that you could have said one or the other there, Lord. He's nearsighted. Okay, clearly I can't see far enough. And blind. <laughs> and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Have you forgotten that what we have is really special? When we're in worship, have you forgot that, it's, that we can enter into the very presence of Yahweh God? Are we waiting for someone else to say come? Because he already said it. In Revelation, come. Come. If, if you're thirsty, come. Come to me. Come to me. Have we gotten nearsighted and blind and we forget that? Man, I want to press in every time. I gotta admit, I'm not always in the mood to be super spiritual. Probably rarely am. <laughs> Y'all are probably a lot better at that than I am. But I'm not worried about my mood about it. I want to press in. I want to be hungry. I want to show Him. It's one of the greatest things. Uh, Eric and I were talking about this the other day before he, he left on his trip. And we are just talking about what it means to be a godly man. And it really does. You just put aside what you're feeling and you do what needs to be done. There's manliness. little secret. That's what manliness is all about. When our feelings are in there, boy, that'll help and it'll encourage us and it'll motivate us and give us a little extra oomph. And when it's not, you just bear down, you press into the kingdom, you throw your hands up high even when you're tired, and you press in and you lead your family to do the same. You don't allow your family to stand next to you and not press in when you sense that they need to press in. Hey, come on, let's focus. And maybe that's with your wife. Hey, let's focus. Let's really push in today. At the end of this worship, at the end of this time here in just a few minutes, I want us to worship again. You know what I want us to do? Just press in. Just press in. That's all. Because in His presence, there is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures everyone. When we press in, you get what you need so that you can be what you're supposed to be. We can be these things because His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I lack nothing when I'm in His presence. Verse 10, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Wow. This is all the same thought process, right? This is all the same in mind. A new paragraph begins there, but you're adding, He's given you everything you need. He's given me everything I need, and yet I have to add. I have to work at this thing. He's given me, he's given me all the tools that I need, and I have to be diligent. I have to put my hand to this thing. I have to be serious about it. And I can't look at things the way the world does. And I have to evaluate where my heart is all the time. Because my heart is, in and of itself, in an unredeemed fashion, is horrible. It's repulsive. It's repulsive. 
We do these things. We grow because we, we don't want to be ineffective or unproductive. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. Eternal security. (laughs) If you do these things, if you allow the power of the Spirit to continually do these things in your life, Curtis, you will never fall. Why? Because you're constantly growing in these things. And He was reminding you. And you're like, I thought I already learned that. I guess I didn't learn enough. Oh, here we go. Let me keep going. Let me not get distracted. Let me not get overly focused on myself. Let me not get so selfish that I get upset when somebody tells me something that I don't like. Uh, I'm going to share this about worship today. So we're playing today. And um, we're having a little sound issue up here on the, on the stage. By the way, our sound team, our, our guys back there, Rick and Susan, are some of the best ever. They are fantastic. Um, we were having issues up here, and Matt looks over at me and says, Stop playing the piano. <laughs> I was like, So I stopped playing the piano. <laughs> Sometimes God tells us to stop doing something, and if you're not careful, you get all like, I'm on the worship team too. I'm a pastor here too. Do you know who I am? I was like, Cool. Sweet. Don't have to worry about that. I could, <laughs> it's one less thing for me to think about. <laughs> Free worship. Woo, glory. Right? We have to get in the habit of holding what God gives us with open hands. It's mine. It's my responsibility. I will work with this. I will hold on to it. I will treat it with all tenacity as the most precious thing that God has given me. And when He moves it from my hand, I just give it up. I just give it up. I am not... um, Sometimes we hold on to things so tightly that we really start thinking that they're ours. My children, with God's help, they will be some of the most incredible and godly people ever. With God's grace and His mercy, (laughs) they will reflect me in the good ways and not reflect me in all the bad ways. Right? In that every parent's prayer, you're like, oh my gosh. God, they're stubborn just like me. <laughs> you know? Just like Chris. But, um, she's not sitting there. That's why I said that. Because I would get in trouble. Um, but at the same time, at some point, I'm, I'm stewarding my own children. Because at some point, and right now, they're gods anyway. God, I will live and I will die for them. And I will say that they're mine because you gave them to me. But wherever you need to send them, you send them. Whatever plan that you have, it's not my plan for them ultimately. It is your plan. If you want them in college, if you want them on the mission field, if you want them wherever they go, then God, they're yours. So I'm going to hold them and I will treat them as the most precious things ever. And they're yours. They're yours. God, my dreams. For those of us who aren't parents yet. Lord, you gave it to me. I think you've given me this calling. I'm going to work it out with fear and trembling. And it's yours. If you don't want me in it yet, as much as I think it's mine to have, it's yours. I'm going to hold it with an open hand because I don't actually, I'm not actually the one that possesses it. Some of us get so frustrated in our calling because we think we're ready for something. 
And the truth is, is if you were ready and where you were going is ready, don't you trust God that He would put those two things together? Or do we get so possessive of it that we start to impugn the character of God? Well, but I'm anxious and I want to do this and I think that I'm ready and... By the way, the reason that I can say some of the things I said last week, the reason that I can say some of the things I did that I'm saying today, is because I lived it. I'm not telling you this because someone else told me that they used to think this. I'm telling you this because I've thought this. Felt like I was called to be a pastor when I was 17 years old. Christ for the Nations Institute, their summer camp, Youth for the Nations, YFN. People laid hands on me. Scott Wilson was one of them. Son, we think the Lord's doing this. Dad. Fifteen years later when none of that has happened, and I get on this roller coaster of trying to make it happen and then like trying to forget about it. Fine, I'm never going to be... God just wants me to be a teacher. I, the dream would come alive and then it would die. The way it would come alive in me is that someone would go... They would call out of the blue and say, Hey, can we take you to lunch? Pfft, yeah. I'm a school teacher. Anytime. As long as you're paying. <laughs> yes. I don't even care where it is. And they'd say, hey, we need a worship pastor. Would you come be our worship pastor? We want to pay you $70,000 a year to come be our worship pastor. I'm a teacher making 20-something. Perhaps this is the Lord. <laughs> Actually, in most of those instances, in the first second that they asked me, I knew that it was a no. I tried to be courteous and honoring of them buying me lunch or having a meeting, so I'd say, give me a day or two to think about it and let me pray, which is exactly what I did, and it was always no. But you know what God was doing in me? He was using those as, keep the dream alive. Don't let it die. And then it would be years and nothing particular would happen. All the while, I'm just trying to add to my faith, trying to add to the goodness. I'm trying to add to the knowledge. I was like, I don't know what else to do. And they would feel like, okay, God, this is so stupid. Why am I holding on to this stupid thing? And then something else would happen and it would kind of rebirth it all. It would stir the pot. And I'd be like, yes, maybe this is it. Five minutes later, I'm like, no, this is definitely not it. Not at all. But Lord, I'm ready. That was my thought process. But Lord, I'm ready. Let's do this. I'm excited. I'm ready. When you're ready to whatever level that means, because there's always more, right? We're always adding. But when you're ready and the situation is ready, don't you think He'll put it together? Don't you think He can move heaven and earth? Don't you think that He doesn't need your help to get His will accomplished? When we moved to Austin, I knew that that was a part of God's will. And it wasn't because it was a big church. It was because I knew it was God's will. You know how I knew it was God's will? I didn't apply. I got a call, said, hey, would you be interested in this? I'm like, who are you? Who is this? What's going on? And God worked out details and showed me that when you're faithful, I'll take care of you. I'm just, my job is to hold, the, to hold these things with a very open hand. Pry out the fingers, the death grip. I heard it said, and, and I don't, uh, it's been a while, so pardon me if I don't get all the details exactly right, but there are places um, <clears throat> when they're trying to catch monkeys and they have a box and they have a hole 
and the top of the box so that the monkey could get the hand down in it to grab something and then they can't get their arm out because they keep holding on to the thing that's in the box. And literally, catching them, these, I can't remember the type of monkeys, that's where my memory is failing me now, but they'd come up and they'd just go, bloop, and just catch them and put them in the little cage and do whatever they do with them. <laughs> if the monkey would just let go, the hole was big enough for him to get his hand in, so the hole's big enough for him to get him to hand, his hand out. But when you hold on to those things, you actually become bound and stuck to it. It limits your movement. You become a captive to the very thing that maybe even you're supposed to have. But because you're trying to get it of your own volition, it traps you. Hold what God gives you with an open hand. He's good like that. Trust Him. Don't impugn... And I keep coming back to this. Don't impugn God's character. When you make certain decisions, it's not just certain decisions. You are actually showing what you feel and what you think about the very presence of God. When you can't trust Him, when you have difficulty of doing something, you are literally, <laughs> you're describing to everyone else what your true vision of Him is, regardless of what your words say. When I was doubting God and telling Him how ready I was, which is so silly, right? I'm embarrassed to say that. I'm completely embarrassed and also very authentic with it. Who is it? Uh, Margaret Thatcher, the former uh, uh, um, British Prime Minister, I think, I think this is right. She used to say, if you have to tell someone you're a lady, then you're not. If I have to tell God that I'm ready, I'm probably not. You ever had a kid that'll tell you, I'm ready. I'm big enough to do this. And if you have to tell me. Right? It's kind of silly now as a parent. I'm going, oh, how many times did I do that to the Lord? I can do this. He knows. Maybe you can. Just wait. Just keep working and be more mature so that when you're in it, you can actually fulfill because He wants you to fulfill the whole purpose. I'm thinking about the starting step. I'm thinking about getting into it. I can get in there. God's not worried about whether I can get in or not. He's trying to make sure that I can get all the way through. That I can fully accomplish His will. That's what He's worried about in me. Am I going to fulfill His will or not? I'm worried about stepping in and showing people that, look, I can do this. And He's worried about um, there are too many lives involved here, buddy. Yes, you can step through the door, but you won't be, you don't have what it takes yet to get all the way through this thing. You don't have what it takes yet to be able to carry the weight to make it to the end. You don't yet have the tools that you need. You think you do, but you don't even know what you don't know yet. What happens when you don't know what you don't know? You're dangerous. Hey, let me come in there and help you with some electricity there, Matt. Uh, bro, I don't even know what I don't know. I will, there'll be some fried wade up in here. Like, um, yes, Pastor Matt, would you tell me what you need me to do? Like, I'll be a gopher because I understand in this realm that there's a lot that I don't know and it kind of scares me. I'll learn and I'm working on it and all those good things. Some of us need to be more that way in the, in the spirit and go, Lord, I'm going to presume that you actually care and you actually know what's going on. I'm going to just take it for just a second that you are actually in control of my life and that you have good things planned for me. And so if the timing doesn't work out the way I think it should, it's okay. If, if, um, 
if I feel like there's opposition and maybe I miss my chance, and it's not because I've been sinning, I'm actually running after you with a pure heart, I'm going to trust that either I didn't need it or you'll cause it to work out later and it'll be a miracle. I'm going to presume that uh, if you have a promised son and you tell his father to sacrifice him on the altar, I'm going to presume if you did it then that you can do it now for me because you're not a respecter of persons. You don't play favorites, but I do want your favor. Amen? A few more scriptures. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. Let's see what the prophets have to say about this. Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 7. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. How's your confidence doing? Are you confident in the Lord? Are you confident that He sees you where you are? Are you confident that He is the one who's keeping track of your accounts? And if man may be shorting you, do you think that He's... Are you confident that He'll take care of that? You should be. He is a good God. But blessed, you are blessed, is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose confidence is in Him. I'm confident in the Lord. I am confident. Um, my mom, my mother, and, and she'll come and visit, and my mom is a godly woman. I remember my mom, uh, one of my favorite memories growing up was she would be doing the dishes or cleaning the house and singing in the Spirit. I loved it. I told my mom a couple years ago, like in the last, I don't know, five or seven years, I was like, Mom, I hope you don't ever stop praying for me, by the way. I know I'm a grown-up now, and I've got my own kids but you still need to pray for me, right? And she was kind of like, oh, yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not, like, I'm not playing. I, you know. So I have a very, a very godly mother who called me the other day, and she was like, now tell me what's going on with the church. Tell me what's going on. What's going on with there? She was worried. She was a mom. She was just being a mom. And my response to my mother was, mom, I'm living in this and I have confidence in my Lord. And let me tell you why. Let me remind you of things that you taught me and that God has taught me. Let me remind you how much God has been with us. Let me remind you that in every way and in every time that He has never failed us. Let me tell you that as long as we're obedient, we step out and He always does what He's going to do. It may look difficult for a while, but He always accomplishes His will. Mom, can I tell you that it is the biggest honor of our lives to just serve God's people? If we become paupers, it's a pretty short trip from now to pauperdom. It would be the greatest joy of our lives to do so. I won't even count it as a sacrifice. It's too easy. That didn't even count as a sacrifice. Because I trust in the Lord and I am confident in Him. There will be days when I'm sure my knees will knock and my faith will, will, will sway, but my confidence is in Him. And my mom went, oh. oh. It encouraged her faith. It reminded her of the faith that she taught me and that 
There's this cycle. Once you get older, you start telling and teaching your parents the same things that they used to teach you. It's a fun little cycle that goes on. I can't wait for my kids, and they already do it, I'm sure, in some ways that I'm not perceptive enough, but can't wait till my kids encourage me when my faith is low. Because of their confidence in Him. Amen? Verse 8, He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its, its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. How many of you want evergreen leaves? And your walk with the Lord. Why? Because you're tapped into the source. Because His divine power has given you everything you need. When the devil lies to you that you don't have enough, His divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. Everything. I'm going to trust Him at His word. If I don't have any money in the bank account, His divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. If I have less than no money, it doesn't matter. His divine power. Because I want to be a person whose roots have gone out by the stream of the living water of God. I, it does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. Our country is... Yes, it is. We are, we are in for some tough times. But I'm not going to worry in a year of drought. And never fails to bear fruit. <laughs> kind of sticks this in there. Verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things. There's another passage that we didn't read um, in Proverbs. There's several passages that talks about um, basically that everybody's motives are, are good in their own eyes. Can't quite remember how it says it right now. But the Lord weighs the heart. Oh, no, I'm doing the right thing. No, we're not the actual standard on this thing. God is the one who actually checks us. God is the one who weighs us in the balance to see if our heart and our motives are pure. I feel good about my own motives. You know why? Because I'm the one that has the motives. <laughs> but I'm not the test. It says that in Old and New Testament alike. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 1, let's start in verse 9. You guys still with me? Verse 9. At the time I said to you, this is, this is Moses recapping what had happened to Israel previously, right? At that time I said to you, you are... Uh, You are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your number so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you as He has promised. Very good and precious promises. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over over you. You answered me, what you propose to do is good. Verse 15, so I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and as tribal officials. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your brothers and judge fairly, whether the case is between brother Israelites or between one of them and an alien. Do not show partiality in judging. 
Here both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you and I will hear it. And at that time I told you everything you were to do. Do not show partiality. Let's let God, God is the one who's going to weigh our hearts. And then the last scripture uh, for now is Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says this. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes or the intents of the heart. I grew up learning that it was the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What you intended to do, really. Have you ever been around people who are passive-aggressive? Right? They're saying one thing, but you know that their intentions are something completely different. Nice job. Well, they don't mean that you actually did a nice job. Right? Nice job, Steve. They're actually saying, Ugh! Right? Sometimes, sometimes we forget that we are really spirit beings encased in, in humanity. We, we forget that our spirit actually communicates a whole lot. Even the, the natural realm has figured this out. They say that you know, something like 90% of, of what you communicate, 80 to 90% has nothing to do with the words coming out of your mouth. This is secular. Secular people say that. I'm like, huh, it's pretty true. They talk about body language and, and tone and different things. And I'm like, yeah, because there's a spirit inside of us. And when you have someone who's communicating genuinely with you, don't you know it? Like, oh, it's at peace. When you have someone who's got something else going on in their spirit, you're like, are you mad? Are you, are you upset? Are you tired? Like, what's going on? We try to go through a list, but the truth is, is that the Word judges the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you haven't really thought about this process in a while. We must all give an account. Everything that we are, everything that we do is laid bare before the one who's going to judge us. I want to make sure that my life, I have that question like the, like they asked the prophet Samuel, are you coming in peace? I want to make sure that I come and I fall at the very feet of Jesus. Lord, judge me. You see me anyway. I don't need to ask you to see me because you already see me. You already know what's going on inside. So by saying, Lord, come and evaluate me, I'm saying, I'm ready for you to do in me what you need to do in me. I don't want to be where I evaluate things by the external. I don't want to be a person who judges the way the rest of the world does. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that type of person who says, look, I'm fine. It's enough. I'm supposed to be adding to my faith. I'm supposed to be growing. I'm supposed to be ever maturing. Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, surely, Lord, you've made me. You know me. You know the inner parts of who I am. Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, would you please get it out? 
Would you please do surgery on my heart so that that does not grow and cause me to be ineffective, unproductive, and perhaps even apart from you completely? I think that we have a bad theology as a general people sometimes that we think that any mistake that we make, that God will always forgive. Yes, He, may, he will forgive. Amen. But there are consequences to the mistakes that we make. I would rather God get it out now when it's a seed than have to dig up a root. I'd rather have Him dig up the root before it becomes a full tree that's producing other bad fruit in my life. Lord, examine our hearts. We should always be allowing the Lord to examine our hearts. If you guys do this, let's stand together.